When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I talk about your news diet, and I think that what people need is a, we gotcha. Like, the whole day is going to happen, crazy things like tweets, notifications, turn it off, turn down the noise, we gotcha. And I think that there's a real need for that, because otherwise, it's like a fire hose coming at you all the time. Hey y'all, and welcome to Unladylike, where we find out what happens when women break the rules. I'm Caroline. I'm Kristen. And Caroline, how would you describe your news diet? Like, is it a fire hose of nourishing fruits and veggies, just (laughs) gobbling it up? More like a tray of pizza rolls right out of the oven that's still too hot to eat. Uh You know, like zero nutritional value. And it's burning the shit out of the roof of my mouth because I'm so hungry and I just devour it all. I am really relating to this food metaphor. um, But seriously, political news these days feels like it's always dialed up to a 10. It is going to burn the shit out of the roof of your mouth. But at the same time... The stakes are too high to ignore. Yeah, I mean, between, honestly, the alerts on my phone, 500 newsletters in my inbox, and being on Twitter every second of the day, it feels harder than ever to strike that balance between, like, staying engaged and informed and preserving my mental health, you know? Oh, I know. Uh, The first question I ask myself every morning is, can I handle whatever Michael Barbaro is about to tell me? (laughs) Today. Luckily, y'all, we're going to get some insights from a former CNN chief White House correspondent. That's right. Jessica Yellen is here to tell us how she's Instagramming her way to better political news without all that yelling. See what you did there? Mm -hmm. Jessica Yellen? Mm -hmm. Yellen? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And once we've got our news feed sorted, it's time for a combo civics lesson and pep talk on how getting elected to public office works in the U.S. with one of my favorite nasty women, actor, writer, podcaster, and activist, June Diane Raphael. June Diane channeled her post-election rage into a truly excellent guidebook she co-wrote with Kate Black, the former chief of staff of Emily's List. It's called Represent the Woman's Guide to Running for Office and Changing the World. There's so many different things you think about when you think of a politician, and usually that person is is older and male and white, and all of these pictures come to our mind. And it's usually not ourselves we're thinking of for most women. And I really wanted to demystify this process and really make it accessible and even, dare I say, fun for the average woman. And not just the average white woman. Both June Diane and Jessica are doing their part to help women of all walks not be scared off from today's political shitstorm and possibly make it a little better. So today, we're reconsidering what politicians should look like. 
who's qualified to run, and how to get started, even if you don't feel born to be in it like Beto O'Rourke on that ill-advised Vanity Fair cover. Hashtag never forget. Being a journalist is a public service. You're helping the American people understand the issues so they can take part in the democracy. And so we have to do our part to making sure that Americans understand the issues. And I'm not sure we're always hitting that mark. Caroline, you and I actually met in journalism school, and I'm not going to lie, I was kind of starstruck to talk to Jessica Yellen, like someone who obviously knows White House politics, and also the growing challenge of sorting the truth from the spin, especially as a cable news reporter. Yes, and that's why she's taken a whole new approach to her journalism. In 2017, Jessica headed to the smaller screen and started reporting regularly on her personal Instagram stories under the hashtag news, not noise. My goal is to help you separate the news from the noise because there's so much noise right now. And I spent my whole career in TV news and I realized, oh my God, we've got to do something different. So I'm trying to figure that out and solve it on Instagram. Because Jessica says the news was not always this noisy. When I was a baby reporter, my job was always, hey, Yellen, we're going to have a debate on the tax plan. Would you come in and give us a minute 45 on what's in the tax plan, give us the information, and then we'll fight about it? <laughs> now, often, my old job doesn't exist. They don't do the whole, here's what we're talking about. They just go straight to the fight. And then you get all these polls and sociological studies and hand-wringing that Americans are making emotional decisions about policy. They're not based on reason and thought. Like, um, is that a surprise? Are we giving them the information? So part of my mission is to show that people actually, like, want the information. They want to know. We just have to tell it in a way that makes sense, that connects. Like, explain your terms. Use less jargon. And stop shouting at me. <laughs> I mean, do you guys, can I just ask, do you listen to cable news? No. 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 Oh, God, no. No, no. What about any TV news? No. Right? Yeah, no. Uh-uh. Well, it's a fire hose, and it's not always a fire hose of news. A lot of times, especially when you're referring to cable news, it's a fire hose of just conjecture, just mm -hmm. opinions and trying to analyze things that haven't even fully happened yet. Um, I, I just want to know what has happened and why. Yeah, it's a lot of, it's constant hot takes. Right. Right. Now, what happens when I have this conversation with people who are like news media experts, they'll say, oh, but if people actually wanted real information told clearly, we would be doing that. And so we're, since we're not doing that, that proves that people don't want it. It's just like, you know, this like self-referential confirmation cycle, right? Well, where do you think, I'm, I'm so curious to know where you... Where you think it went off the rails? I think it's a good question. I think two things. One, um, you know, there's so much with the fragmenting of the audience because people are go they're listening to so many podcasts instead of listening to watching TV news, or they're out during their day and so they're not sitting in front of the TV or social media, Instagram, Facebook. There's less and less audience available to sit and watch the news, and then there's more pressure to get those eyeballs, and then you have to have like you know shareholder reports all the time showing what your profit margin is, and so there's more and more pressure to deliver on ratings in short time frames with low expense. And the best way to do that is to put people on a panel who will yell at each other 
or like the, I wouldn't say the best way to do that, but the way that has been internalized as one effective way is to create these panels of people because you're not spending all the money to send them into the country to go report a story, right? I, I wonder if, you know, there's a whole other audience to be gotten. I, I believe there's a whole audience to be gotten by doing it differently. And I think it especially leaves women out of the conversation. Women especially feel this, stop screaming at me. I can't take the rage. You got to turn it down, people. And that means that then women are turning the news down. And we don't want that. The only people who like the way the news is being told right now are grown-up guys, which coincidentally (laughs) overlaps with the people who have created, produced, and run the news for many, many generations. Now, due to recent changes in our culture, a number of news organizations have put women in charge, but that is a super new development. And the conventions of how we tell the news were built – you know, by guys who like to watch ESPN and they wanted to make politics like ESPN. And that's what we got. Burnt out by that ESPNification, to coin a new term, Jessica took some time off, wrote a novel called Savage News, and started thinking about how to get back into the kind of fact-forward news reporting she could stand behind. Her friends started encouraging her to just do it herself, you know, with a phone. You don't need a whole network. So one day, Jessica put her phone in selfie mode, shot a quick newsy explainer, and posted it to her Instagram story. Sure, the lighting and angles weren't perfect, but her followers dug it. And now Jessica has effectively turned her Insta stories into her own news channel. For me, it was really like I just wanted to tell the news differently. I just had this... I'm a political reporter. I spent a lot of my time in my career chasing undecided voters. Undecided voters heavily overlap with women. So if you're a political reporter, everybody cares about how is the vote going to turn out, and the undecided voters make the decision in the end, and that's why we focus all our attention on them disproportionately. And one of the key undecided voting demographics is um, suburban women, moms, you know, and I've spent a lot of time interviewing them during campaigns and following them, and a lot of times they end up voting the way of their husbands. So they'll be undecided, and their husbands vote for Obama in 12, but Trump in 16, and they do the same. And the conventional wisdom in Washington is that's because they really don't care, and they're just going to do what their husbands say. But when you probe that, you find that the women are clipping articles. They are watching the news. It's just not speaking to them. Okay, Caroline, quick grain of salt sidebar, because the political habits of women certainly are not uniform. Like, the important point, though, is the disengagement or getting burned out or turned off so much by political news that we just quit trying to stay informed. Right. And there's already a gender gap in political engagement, and it's not unique to the U.S. Studies continue to show that men are more interested in politics generally and pay more attention to political news than women do. And so I wanted to find a way to both do the news differently in a way that they would hear, but also in a space where they're already active. And Instagram is a place that skews heavily female. It is a more friendly environment in terms of like tone than some of the other social media platforms. There's not a lot of rage in there. And there wasn't really a news offering. Uh, And what I really love about it is the conversation I can have with people. So 
you know, I used to be on TV and I would do a live shot and it just goes out into the ether and I have no idea if it connects. Now I'll do a story and they'll, people will say, would you explain again what sanctions are? Would you explain what tariffs means? Hi, happy Wednesday. In his State of the Union address, President Trump warned of a surprising threat. He said that he was worried about calls to adopt socialism in our country. What's he talking about? I want to get into that. So in what way do you talk about the news or cover the news differently on your Instagram account versus if you were in front of a TV camera? Like, is there an example? Um, after the shootings the in, in Ohio and in Texas, um, a lot of people were messaging me that weekend like, aren't you doing the updates? Why aren't you doing the updates? And I came on and I said, I'm not here to tell you – like the number of people who passed away or what the shooter was wearing. You can get that everywhere else. I'm here to provide you information that helps you participate in the world more and helps you feel confident. So what I'm going to talk about are what are the different gun safety reforms that are out there right now? What are the ones that have the, that are the most popular and what are their chances of passing? And if you want to take action in some way, what can you do? That's the kind of thing I would never have done in the news. Now, some people might say that that's like taking a side, but when 98% of the American people support background checks, it's not taking a side. Okay, well, one of the most daunting things for me personally is just the pace of all the information being thrown at us. So how can unladylike listeners get better at sifting through all of our news feeds to find out like what's important and what's just worth ignoring? My advice is first, pick a time of day you're going to take in your news. You don't need to do it all day long. So pick a time of day and set how much time you're going to do in advance so you're intentional about it, so you're not spending hours, right? Um, Two, turn off your notifications. You do not need to know if Trump tweeted something right now or if you find out about it at your designated news time, 5 p.m. or whatever, 7, 10. Um, Unless you're in, like, you're a commodities trader or in the news business, you don't need to have the breaking alert. Um, try to reduce the number of times you – if you're on Twitter, try to reduce the number of times you check it. I have to give myself that advice every <laughs> hour. Um, and find in advance, you know, news sources that provide factual information rather than the shouting opinion. But wherever you find your news, um, go for the fact stuff and turn down the opinion stuff and then try to have conversations about it so that you really internalize it. Because I'm going to say this, it's so cheesy, but the whole point of a free press is to educate an electorate in the democracy. And so we need to be doing our good job with that, but also it's on everybody in the country to participate by getting smart on what's going on starting now. Don't wait till it's too close to the election. Find the way to participate. It's really important that we all get engaged. And if it's, you know, through on-ramping, through the kind of news I offer, or going to community meetings in your town, or finding that one friend who's super involved and not being scared to ask questions, don't be scared to ask questions. I promise you somebody else also doesn't understand what filibuster means or whatever the thing is. And um, we just have an extra hurdle to get over on that because we kind of always assume we don't know, but others do. But, you know, speak up, show up, do your part. And follow you on Instagram. And follow me on Instagram <laughs> or Facebook or Twitter or YouTube. News Not Noise, Jessica Yellen.
Kristen, after you and I talked with Jessica, I took her advice to try to figure out what works for me news consumption-wise. And I got to tell you, I turned off each and every news alert on my phone. I am so impressed. How does it feel? Honestly, it feels great. (laughs) Like, I still obviously check the news, but I no longer have that sort of, like, drained feeling every time I look at my phone. Yeah, so you're still informed? Yes. But less drained? Yeah, checking the news on my own terms. Okay, I need to get on board with that. So, y'all, if we all want to take Jessica Yellen's advice and participate in politics, now what? When we come back, actor and author June Diane Raphael breaks down how to get involved without having a breakdown. Stick with us. Dear reader, on election night, November 8th, 2016, I, June Diane Raphael, actress, writer, podcaster, hyphenate haver, Boarded a red eye from L.A. to New York to go to a funeral, which would turn out to be one of the brighter spots of the next few days. The two other seats in my row were empty. A news notification popped up on my phone as I settled into my seat. The state of Florida was called for Trump. Alone in my row, I was feeling, how to put this, shaky. We're back. And that was June Diane Raphael reading the introduction to her book, Represent, The Woman's Guide to Running for Office and Changing the World. Now, June Diane isn't your typical political organizer, sure. But Kristen, she did recently play chief of staff to Charlize Theron's winning presidential candidate in Longshot. Yeah, I think that counts. And June Diane has said that making the comedy where the qualified woman won was kind of cathartic after living through the sexist hell that was the 2016 presidential election. I was genuinely wondering, like, if this motherfucker can become president, can I? And should I run for office? What what do I do? And so I started doing some research on my own about what that would look like, where I would run, what the steps were, how does how does one do it? And what I found was not much. June Diane ultimately decided the time wasn't right to run. You know, she's in the middle of this super successful entertainment career. But she did have an idea. Somebody who knows politics inside and out should gather all the information involved with running for office and put it all together in a handy book written specifically for women. Right. To really explain the process and how it can differ so radically depending on the race. Because, Caroline, there are more than 500,000 elected offices across the U.S., from school board to insurance commissioner, like all the way up the chain. In other words, getting involved in politics does not mean you're trying to get into the White House. Yet. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And the idea of compiling all that information and helping to get it into women's hands led June Diane to Emily's List. It's one of the most influential political action committees out there that's focused exclusively on getting liberal, pro-choice women elected to office. And Emily's List led June Diane to Kate Black, who was their vice president of research at the time. We started talking and we spent an hour on the phone together. And I, I, I was really just calling her to say, hey you all should do this book. (laughs) And I want to give you this idea to do. 
Kate loved the idea, but had one condition. June Diane had to write it with her. And June Diane tried to approach it with what she would want to know if she had decided to run for office. I think a lot of women do this. We we want to be perfect at it, and we want to have it all ready to go. And we, we want to be able to show up as the good student who knows everything and has everything ready. And, you know, we say in the book a lot of times men don't do that and men are not waiting for that time. And I think it's really powerful to start telling people and to start holding oneself accountable to your friends and family and getting them engaged and having their support and having them follow up with you Um, and starting to talk about it and putting the idea into the ether. So what were some of the biggest questions that you had when starting out? I really had a lot of questions around what would the first thing be? Like where do you where do you go? What do you do? How do you do it? What is there some sort of a guideline? And and you know, Kate's advice was uh to really start talking about it and telling people why you want to do this and what you care about and what the issues are that are motivating you. So getting to the why right away and and then figuring out how to narrow down the where. So I remember really thinking like, well, what what do I care about that's right here? And talking to Kate about, okay, let's say just for example, I wanted to run for LA school board. What what does that look like? And her telling me like, here's okay, let's start let's start researching. Let's look up how much the last candidate how much money the last candidate raised, giving me some really concrete guidelines. Um, that I found to be incredibly helpful. So then what we did in the book is we really provide the reader with this 21-point checklist where they can go through and start to really work the book and work the process. Yeah, so that checklist really breaks down the whole campaign process and highlights the specific hurdles that women should expect. So, for example, Represent lays out how women of color tend to have to work the hardest for campaign dollars because they're likelier than white women to face primary challengers and often attract smaller donations. Also, Kristen, I gotta say, my anxiety really does appreciate the fact that every chapter includes step-by-step action plans, like a time management tracker, public records cheat sheet, and a caregiving inventory. And if you read the book with friends, there's even a little scene work potential. So we have one other short passage from Represent that we would love for you to read because... It is not only a very detailed and handy guide, but it's really funny. I mean, even when you're talking about, like, electoral bureaucracy. So could uh, could you just read steps one through three <laughs> of Beth's wine-soaked journey on, on page 68? Of course. I'll start with you bet your ass there are. Perfect. Okay. Does this sound good? Because this is truly a scene. This is our scene work. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Here's Beth. Now that I'm retired, I'm ready. I want to run for governor to fight for and protect all Iowan consumers. First things first, are there requirements? You bet your ass there are, Beth. 
Here's how Beth figures out what the requirements are. Step one, she fires up Lady Google, searches for Iowa gubernatorial requirements, and finds the Secretary of State's handy candidate guide. She opens the document and starts scrolling. Step two, Beth pours herself a glass of wine. She finds the requirements for the governorship and thinks to herself, must be a U.S. citizen. Check. Must be an Iowa resident for two years by the general election. Check. Must be at least 30 years old at the time of the general election. Oh, honey, check. Step three, Beth sees a box that says signatures needed. Okay, so how many signatures does she need? Beth takes a pretty big sip of wine. <laughs> Scene. <Love that. laughs> Perfect cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> You did a great Beth. I wasn't imagining her that way, but now <laughs> I really enjoyed your interpretation. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I have been preparing. <laughs> Kristen, how did that feel to read a scene with one of your faves? I mean, uh, I can die now. Happy woman, <laughs> Caroline. <laughs> but, but seriously, I, uh, A, it was blast, obviously. But I was super interested to ask June about something that you and I think about a lot and try to enact on this podcast in an hour book, which is smashing the patriarchy, sure, but also smashing white feminism. Yes, checking our own problematic white ladyhood. That's coming up. But first, June Diane shares a very important piece of advice she's coined for managing your life, politics, and all. Stick around. What is the most unladylike thing about you? Probably the the most unladylike thing about me is my anger and rage, <laughs> which is really quite available to me and is really searing. And I'm like starting to kind of figure out how to ride it, but it's definitely – I would say classically unladylike <laughs> to be a woman walking around with this much anger. <laughs> We're back with actor, podcast host, and my new scene partner, June Diane Raphael. June Diane is starting to figure out how to ride her political anger in the ways that make sense for her, especially as a working mom. You know, she's not running for office yet, but after writing Represent with Kate Black, she's definitely prepared. And she's helping to prepare others. And not just with the book. She's also a co-founder of the Jane Club in Los Angeles, which is this co-working space slash matriarchal oasis, as she likes to call it. God, I love the sound of that. Also, I mean, like getting political where you are with what you've got, that's great. But how do we figure out what that could look like for us regular non-June Dianes? Well, Caroline, I think that starts with creating the mental space to even consider it, you know, which means making time and filtering out the bullshit that distracts us from our goals. And there's a saying June Diane has that's helped her do all of the things she does. Five magical words. Not going to take that on. It's really a mantra I use because I care so deeply about so many things that I have to really um, 
I have to be really discerning about what I'm engaging in and what I'm not engaging in. And specifically for me, that means a lot of the smaller stuff and minor grievances and, you know, disappointments, et cetera. I have the ability (laughs) to simply say, I'm not going to take that on. I see it. I'm not blind. I see it (laughs) happening over there, but that's over there. And that that moment or person or event or whatever it is that's demanding my attention, I'm not going to, you know, acknowledge. My car was stolen out of my driveway and I was like, oh, I see this, but I'm not going to emotionally invest in this experience. I'm approaching it in like a very clinical way of like, this is something and that happened and I'll deal with it. But I it really, I can detach fully. Um, and I find it incredibly freeing. <laughs> <laughs> incredibly freeing. And please know, like, I'm very, I'm, I cry all the time. I'm very emotionally connected. It's just that because I know I can be so emotionally connected, I have to really protect myself. Caroline, in the context of politics and that fire hose of news that we talked about earlier with Jessica Yellen, I think this advice is super handy. Like, it's another everyday accessible way to filter the news from the noise. Totally. June Diane's whole I'm not taking that on philosophy is really about setting up and enforcing personal boundaries. It can be really hard to say no. But I've also, in a previous version of myself, would spend a lot of time explaining why I couldn't do something Mm. and making it okay for the other person. And the truth is, like, no is really a complete sentence. So I spend a lot of time now practicing <laughs> saying no in a way where I'm not, like, being inauthentic or or explaining or making someone else feel better. Because when people say no to me, which happens all the fucking time, I don't implode in a pile of ashes. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so <laughs> it's almost, like, demeaning for me to – to assume that someone else would. You know, I I had this one friend who was, like, constantly texting me to go for a hike. I don't like hiking. I don't want to (laughs) hike. You know, and I was finding these round of fucking bout ways to explain it. Or, like, ask me next week. Just knowing, like, I can get out of you asking me right now, and I'll deal with this next week. But I finally just texted back and said, I don't want to hike. Period. (laughs) (laughs) And did that person implode? Period. No. (laughs) And I, but I was really practicing, like, I don't have to apologize for that. Like, I don't want to hike. I know it's confusing since I've said in the last 10 texts that I, (laughs) that I'd be open to it another time. I recognize it's probably a little surprising, but, (laughs) but the truth is I don't, I don't want to do this. I also, well, this is the main thing I say no to is lunches. Hmm. I don't know who has time to fucking eat lunch at a restaurant with people, but I don't. (laughs) And I'm like, you know, everybody's always asked, like, want to grab lunch? Like, no, I don't. I don't have time (laughs) to grab lunch, you know? And so now I'm very comfortable just, like, not taking on lunch. I'm not eating lunch with people. It's not anything I can do. (laughs) Yeah, I can, like, text you over lunch. I can text you from my lunch. Yeah. And you know what? I can actually grab coffee. What I can't do is sit down at a meal 
during the daytime hours. That's like so stress-inducing for me. And so when something is not for me, it ain't for me. Well, it does seem like politics is for you. And you definitely weren't afraid to take on the book. But I feel like a lot of white women have been guilty in politics and especially social justice issues of not taking it on or not stepping up to help women who don't look like them. Well, I mean, I'm certainly not telling people to not take on the bigger things in life. I am someone who does take on the bigger things in life. But I um, specifically when it when it comes to race and privilege and, and identity and equity and justice, I think that's something we should all take on. For many white women, starting that work can be really, really scary and daunting. Um, but it is their work. It's all of our work to understand our own privilege and and to understand the ways in which, you know, regardless necessarily of intention, our, our um, actions have, have an impact um, and, and what unearned privilege really means. And so I think that work is, is not without sacrifice and not without um, – in investigation that that's deep and uh, challenging to oneself. What I worry about with activism right now is that it it seems like almost a moment in time, like it's it's or, or performative and you know culturally like I don't know woke or whatever to to do that. Where you know I I think the the work is actually so much deeper and timeless. And the work of understanding and exploring one's identity um, and specifically privilege is 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 deep and often painful work um, and and freeing and joyful work as well. But what I worry about is people jumping into the conversation without having really done the work because it takes time. And the way June Diane sees it, taking on that everyday, ongoing, internal work, whatever that means for each of us, is necessary for enacting the external political change that we want to see in the world. I do think I have a lot of confidence, but I also think like most people, I I waver between like total self-confidence and total imposter syndrome and insecurity. But my experience as a woman, I feel that actually being self-confident and speaking positively about oneself and enjoying one's own body and space that they take up in the world is 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 quite an act of radical resistance in the culture we live in. I think the the thing that I I really would say to anyone who's listening to this, who's thinking, oh my gosh, this is for other people to do. This is best left to others. I'd really ask them to consider themselves and to consider what they have to offer and to consider this as a possibility in their lives, that they can be a mother, they can be a young person, they can be retired, they can be a domestic worker, they can be a sex worker, they can be many, many different things. And also, they can represent, they can serve the public, they can be an elected official. Okay, and ladies, tell us your thoughts. Are you thinking of taking on political office? 
And how are you handling the fire hose of political news these days? Hit us up on social at Unladylike Media, email us at hello at unladylike.co, or comment on the thread for this episode in our private Facebook group. And y'all can head on over to our site, unladylike.co, to check out our sources and this episode's transcript. That's right, folks. We are slowly but surely bringing y'all transcripts of each Unladylike episode, and we'll be working to get the entire back catalog covered. And don't forget, while you're on the site, you can also sign up for our newsletter to get a weekly update on actually good news about women in the world. Sam Lee and Nora Ritchie are our producers. Abigail Keel is the senior producer of Unladylike. Jonna Palmer is our story editor. Shruti Murate transcribes our tape. Our music is by Flamingo Shadow, Amit May Cohen, and Sarah Tudson. Mixing, sound design, and additional music is by Casey Holford. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Daisy Rosario. Special thanks to Brendan Burns and Devin Bryant at Stitcher Studios in L.A. And we are your hosts, Kristen Conger and Caroline Irvin. Next week... Men get described as having a package. That's like a gift, right? A package is a gift. And women have camel toe? Fuck that. It's labial cleavage. And if you don't like it, look fucking somewhere else. (laughs) Yes. Just in time for Halloween! We are exercising some toxic myths about vaginas, vulvas, and honestly, y'all, the whole clitorourethral complex with Gwyneth Paltrow's least favorite gynecologist, Dr. Jen Gunter. Make sure you're subscribed to Unladylike so you don't miss an episode, you spooky ghouls. Find us in Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. And remember, y'all, got a problem? Get Unladylike. (laughs) Was that a queen? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The perfect closer. Next, we want to ask you, of course, about your new book. It is yeah. called. I love Reference- that you're saying new book as though there was an older book. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a this novelist. Is the right? only book. <laughs> <laughs> so I should reframe. So, uh, June, you've written your only book. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Stitcher. 